If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. What does this mean? Is how that ended. What does this mean? Well, it means if you're uptight between a convo last week on race and a sermon on Pentecost, you're struggling at Jubilee Church right now. And I, I'm going to stand with you in solidarity. That's why I wore my khakis and my button-up sweater. So if you're uptight, I'm with you because uh, this is challenging. I mean, just on that note, people came up to me last week. It's like, man, that was, it was really courageous that, you know, having this conversation on race and, you know, several people said that. I'm like, it started to make me feel nervous. Like, did I do something wrong? Like, was I not supposed to do that? Um, I thought it was really helpful. And I, I know that we were uh, blessed by uh, that conversation. We'll continue to have more of those. But um, there's a caution here at the end of this passage. Uh, you have a, a group of people, everyone who was there, all were amazed and perplexed. Some were saying, what does this mean? Now, there's another group of people we didn't read about. It says, but others mockingly said they are filled with new wine. In other words, it can be disregarded. And there's a caution here at the very end that when the, when the Holy Spirit pours out himself, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in extraordinary power, some will lean in and wonder, what does this mean? And others will lean back and mockingly say they are just filled with new wine. This text that we read is, is, is proof because it's, it is the reason for I don't know how many different denominations. It's divided. It's, it's, it's because people look at this and struggle. And you're going to be tempted to have a similar response. That when God's power is poured out, when God's presence is poured out, some of us will, will all be amazed. We'll all be perplexed. We'll all be like, what is going on? Some will lean in and want to know more. Well, some will lean back with contempt. Um, and I'm, I'm saying this because I believe that we are at the beginning stages of a move of God amongst us, uh, one that we have not seen in a while, that's something that re- is going to require the re- resources of heaven at a base level, at a basic level. This has caused us to want to pray more, which we are. Um, and this is, this is coming to empower us for a th- new thrust of world evangelization that we have yet to experience. And I believe God's going to do that. And he's going to fall on us at his discretion, by the way, not mine. Like this isn't something you can just dictate happens. This is something that God does. Um, but this, when this experience comes, and as this experience comes, some will lean in and want to know more and experience more. Some will lean back and, and disregard it. And this is a warning. This is a caution that comes from scripture. It's one of the things that we see here. And as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see the Holy Spirit do a lot of things. Dr. Luke, who wrote this, Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he made an orderly account of all that Jesus did and said, or, or the highlights, I should say. And he did the same thing with the early church. And he highlighted a lot of things that the Holy Spirit did. He, the Holy Spirit baptized or plunged people in his presence. The Holy Spirit caused people to speak in new tongues, new languages, casting out demons, healing people. Um, miraculous prison breaks, angelic encounters, visions, dreams, buildings shaking, uh, the dead being supernaturally brought to life, the living being supernaturally brought to death. There was boldness. There was inexplicable joy in the midst of hardship and persecution. And we get this caution. We get this warning. 
um, from the scriptures that when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, that we can be tempted um, just to cast it to the side. We don't want to do that. We want to go for being a multiplying movement of churches and to do that, to follow the plan of God and the purpose of God. We got to have the power of God to do that. And that's one, it's not just something that, you know, um, you know, the acts and then us, but there's been people throughout history, guys like Jonathan Edwards responsible for leading um, um, great moves of God. He said this, from the fall of man to our day, so basically all of time, the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried out by remarkable or extraordinary communications of the Spirit. There is always a, a constant influence of God's spirit, always in some degree attending to his ordinance, basically making normal church life happen. And normal church life is amazing. Yet the way in which the greatest things have been done toward the carrying on of this work have always been by remarkable outpourings at special seasons of mercy. And that's what we're contending for. We're contending for special seasons of mercy. So what I want to do this morning is I want to get some clarity around this because um, depending where you come from, I find that people get all tangled up with this. They get tangled up in their mind. They get tangled up in, in really what this is. So I want to explain some things. And uh, the way that we do services here is that we want to be discipleship oriented uh, and seeker intelligible. That is that we, the, the way that we organize how we do worship, the way we organize how we do messages is we want to give people an opportunity to grow in Christ, but we want to do it in such a way that someone who's coming in uh, who has very little knowledge of the scriptures or church has a, as a shot at understanding what the heck we're talking about. And uh, there are times, but there are times though where that tension's really hard to manage, where it's just kind of, and that's today's the day. Uh, because this text actually at its surface is, is pretty plain. If you've never heard the text, it's basically God wants to use you to bring about the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, in order to do that, he wants to give you a power that's outside of you. The ends of the earth have yet to be evangelized. Therefore, the promise is still there for us today. That's the simple one. Now, we've made it really complicated, so I'm going to have to talk about a lot of things that uh, we're going to go through the to Bible here, but to help us. So first of all, let's just talk about what is Pentecost. And when you hear Pentecost, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many here would say that when you hear Pentecost, you have a negative response? Some of you know, you may have a positive response, but I think most of us have a negative response, but what does the word even mean? Well, it's made up of two words. The first word is Pente, which means five. So like the Pentagon is a five-sided building, Right? Uh, cost, this, the second part means to the 10th power, so 50th. So what does Pentecost mean? Now, don't get scared. It means 50. Now, that's not a scary word unless it's a birthday, but the, uh, there's nothing scary because all this means is when it says the day of Pentecost has arrived, it's, it's the 50th day since Passover. So Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. They had 40 days with Jesus, 10 days of prayer, 50th day. Now, historically, uh, what makes this day really uh, fascinating, it's we need to understand because God's trying to communicate something to his people is that he fulfilled something on this day. He fulfilled the feast of, of, of Pentecost. There were three major feasts 
uh, that the Jewish people, that all Jewish people were meant to celebrate every year. Everyone would come from all over the nation and, and come to Jerusalem to celebrate these three feasts. Um, they happened on the first month, the third month, and the seventh month. And these, the first one is Passover. And uh, you're probably familiar with this. This was when the angel of death passed over the homes that not necessarily were Israelite or Egyptian, but they passed over the homes that had the blood of an innocent lamb painted on the right doorpost, the left doorpost, and over and above. So the angel doth pass. If you were, if you trusted in the blood of an innocent lamb, the angel of death passed over you, and that's what Passover was about. Uh, Pentecost um, happened fifty. How many days afterwards? 50, there you go. Happened 50 days after Passover. And if you read the story of Exodus, that's when the law was given. In Exodus 20 to 32, 50 days after Passover was Pentecost, which is how it happened in Acts 2. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, that was looking back um, to when the, the, the people of God, they didn't have homes in the wilderness. They had these temporary huts or booths. Sometimes this is called the ten, the the Feast of Booths, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles. This was, hey, we lived in these temporary homes, but one day we will eternally um, live with God. These were the three feasts. Now, sometimes if you're a Bible scholar, like, wait, I thought there were seven feasts. Well, really, the three were made up of seven, so we could show this next slide. So the Feast of Passover was made up of three, unleavened bread, first fruits, Passover. Pentecost was all by itself. Tabernacles, trumpets, day of atonement. Uh, now, what's really cool about these feasts, like I said, is that, is that they are fulfilled in Christ. So these are feasts that the people of God, the Israelites, as you read in the Old Testament, these are things that they did every year. They had very um, temporal uh, meanings to them, things that, that happened to them. But these are things that were fulfilled in Christ. So uh, Passover was filled by Christ the day he died on the cross. So the, how Passover happened was at three o'clock... Um, what they would do is that's when they would slit the throat of an innocent lamb. Jesus died on the ninth hour or 3 p.m. Then they would take the, this lamb and they would put this lamb in the oven. They took Jesus's body and they put his body in the tomb. And then the father of the house would take a piece of unleavened bread and uh, he would hide it somewhere in the house. And he wouldn't take it out until the day after the Sabbath. Jesus rose the day after the Sabbath. And then the father would take this piece of unleavened bread and he would wave it as a symbol of the first fruits of the harvest that was to come. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was, it was like the father was waving him in the air as first fruit to many to come. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles have yet to be fulfilled, but we know that they will, it will be fulfilled. Um, check out 1 Thessalonians. Can we show that verse? Okay. Uh, verse, uh, chapter four. Uh, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and a sound of the trumpet. Remember the Feast of Trumpets. It will blow, and there will be a judgment. But because of the atonement... The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet 
the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's what they were celebrating in the natural, and that's what we celebrate too. It will be fulfilled. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, like we did today, singing that song. One day we'll be in heaven. And this, so this has not yet been, been fulfilled, but we know that it will be fulfilled in Christ. We know that he came once and we know he's coming again. This will be fulfilled. Now, um, the feast of, of Pentecost, the, the one that we're all scared about, was fulfilled on this day in Acts 2 that we're reading about because it was the day that God empowered his people to follow their destiny to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. When God came to Abraham and he created for himself a new people, he says, I will bless you and through you, I will bless the nations. Acts 2 was the fulfillment of the empowerment of that promise. Most people, when they read through Acts 2, they, 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 look at, they focus on the special effects, but Pentecost points um, to past events to help us understand God's purposes. Again, this was signifying the day that um, the law was given. The, the law came down in Exodus, the first Pentecost, and this Pentecost, God's spirit came down. And when the law was given, there was a sound from heaven that was inescapably loud. I mean, really loud, right? And I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a, heard a noise so loud, like you can feel it in your body and it's like, ooh. It, we had this happen actually, thankfully, for a good illustration yesterday morning, uh, we made bacon. I mean, anybody like bacon? Well, I like bacon. Um, and we made bacon and when you make bacon, you must, you must turn on the exhaust fan. Because if you don't turn on the exhaust fan, your smoke alarm goes off. And we have, it's a new code thing to where all the smoke alarms have to be connected. So throughout the house, we have this, they're loud. And they're just deafening noise. And you could feel it in the fight. And that's the noise that we read about here that happened in, in, uh, when the law came down. In, in Psalm 29, we read that it's the voice of the Lord. It shook the wilderness. And it talks about how the voice of God twists the cedar of Lebanon. Cedar, the cedars of Lebanon were, were famous for being big and strong, kind of like we would say the redwoods in California. I mean, they were like the biggest known trees. And God's voice would come down and, and it, it would be like it twisted the cedars of Lebanon. And, and the, vo the voice of God came down. It came like, it wasn't, but it came like a rushing wind that shook the room and made this loud noise. And then there was, fell upon people, divided tongues of fire. Now the word divided just means individual tongues of, of fire. Um, and again, tongues is another word we're scared of, by the way. But tongues, all that means, it's, it's, the Greek word is glossae, which is where we get the word glossary. And, and it just means languages. So when it says tongues, it just means languages. Like I know sometimes, you know, we, people come up here and it's like, oh, someone gave a tongue today in the service. You're like, what did they do? Cut their tongue out and like hand it to the pastor or something? Like, what do you mean they gave a tongue? It just means languages. That's all it means. Um, so there were divided tongues in, in an ancient document called the Targum. This is, a, this is an Aramaic paraphrase of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, so this is, that's what that is. And you can read the following. It says, the first commandment, when it left the mouth of the Holy One, 
as meteors and lightning and as torches of fire, a fiery torch to its right and a fiery torch to its left with birth force and flew uh, in the air of the heavenly expanse and it proceeded to circle around the camp of Israel. Similar thing happened in Acts 2. These divided tongues begin to fall on people. And that's what happened next. Before they could make sense of the noise and the fire, they found themselves speaking in languages they'd never learned. And uh, they didn't know how this was happening. I mean, their, their mouths were moving and their, tip, their, their, uh, their lips, excuse me, and their tongues were fully engaged. And, uh, but they had no clue what they're saying. But the nations that were gathered, they knew what they were saying. And verse 11 says that they were declaring the wondrous works, the wonderful works of God. Now, according to Jewish tradition, when God marked out, I know I'm throwing a lot of things at you. I I realize that. I I told you it'd be a a day like that today. Just maybe take notes and and check check me out later. So when God marked out the nations in Genesis 10, and he did at the very last verse of Genesis 10, he marked out the nations. Uh, He divided them into 70 different nations. And so you've, 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 70 is an important number in the Bible. Following that, Genesis 11 tells us the story of the Tower of Babel that God, in his judgment, confused the language. So uh, God came down in, in, in Genesis 11, and there was confusion. God came down in Acts 2, and there was confusion. But the, in, in Genesis 11, these languages of the seven nations were divided through the inability to communicate to each other, and it came as judgment to them. Another Jewish tradition states that when God gave the law at Mount Sinai, that each of the 70 elders had flames above their head representing the the 70 nations and the languages of the world, illustrating God's intention that all the nations of the world would hear of the law of God, that God's self-revelation at Sinai was to be carried to all nations in accordance to his purpose and will for the world. Whereas God confused the language, though, back at the Tower of Babel in order to separate people at Pentecost, that God used a diverse language to unite his people from every tribe and tongue, communicating that the trajectory of the Spirit is to bring the nations to, together. So the curse of Babel was being reversed and was turning into blessing at Pentecost to bear witness that now, instead of bearing witness to the law, his people would, would bear witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, that's some background. But here's the real question. The real question is, can you, can I experience Pentecost? Can you, can I experience Pentecost? Because this happened 2,000 years ago, right? And there'd be a lot of people who'd say that you uh, can't, experience that this is just something that happened back then because it happened a long time ago. But let me ask you a question. Can we get that that chart back up here? Can you experience Passover? Can you, can you, if you trust in the blood of Jesus, that the angel of death will pass over you and you could stand righteous before the father, can, can you experience the fulfillment of Passover? Can you experience it? But that happened 2,000 years ago. How can you be so confident you can experience it? Can we experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles in the future, when this happens in the future? Well, some of us may not be alive. 
But we know this is gonna happen because it says that the dead in Christ will rise, that we will see him, that we will meet him in the air. Well, how is it that we can experience the fulfillment of Passover? We know that. And we know that we will experience fulfillment of tabernacles, that we will be with him and live with him in heaven forever. Every Christian, every Christian believes that we will experience the the fulfillment of Passover and we will experience the fulfillment of... Why can't we experience this? I'm telling you, you can. But more than I am telling you can, I just want you to know that the Bible says that you can. And more than that, even Jesus. Let me show you this in Acts 1 that we went through week one. And while staring there with him, he, that is Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's very important, the promise. And he's getting ready to explain what the promise is. So he's getting ready to say, he says, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized you with water. Baptized just means immersed. John immersed you with water, but you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he, th- there it is, very, very super clear. The promise is the immersion of the Holy Spirit, okay? And now just to be clear, these, these disciples, they were already Christians. If you read in um, Luke 10, he sends them out and they're all like, they come back to him and they're like, guess what, Jesus, like we spoke, you know, we, we said some things to demons and they had to obey us and you know, they're all high-fiving each other. And he says, look, don't be excited that the demons listen to you. Be excited that your names are written in the book of life. In John 15, three, he says, you are clean. Matthew, Mark, Luke, very concerned about historical accuracy. The gospel of John, John was very concerned about theological accuracy. These guys, so he spoke, they were Christians, and he says, you will receive this promise. Now, let me show you what what Peter says, because after all this confusion, those who were saying, what does this mean, and were leaning in, they're like, hey, how can we get in on this? Peter said to them, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. What's What's the promise? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, now don't get caught up on baptism. I know sometimes like, well, it's filled or it's released or whatever. That's, forget that for now. Um, is for you and for your children and for all. In the Greek, that means all. And who are for, who are afar off. Now, let me just tell you, when the Bible says all who are far off, that is a direct reference to Brian Mowry. And it's a direct reference to Maria Kerford. And it is a direct reference to Roman Rojas because we were afar off, and so were you. It's for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If you have been called by God, you can receive the promise. You can receive what happened at Pentecost. Now, the big question is why would you want to? You can, the Bible says you can. There's a lot of reasons why people don't want to because they're part of the first group. Like, oh, they're out of their mind, they're drunk. But why would you want to experience this? Well, there's there's a few reasons. One is because you want to grow in Christ. You want to grow, um, 
and what it means to, to follow Jesus. It's this word discipleship. Um, when you read through Paul's letters, he, he makes big assumptions that, that, that Christians are living in the good of the baptism of the Spirit because he often speaks of that in terms of how we grow. He doesn't use the Bible. He doesn't even sometimes use the gospel. He uses the Spirit. He says we are to pray, not in the Bible, we are to pray in the Spirit. We're not to rejoice in the Bible, we're to rejoice in the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit, full assurance in the Spirit. Experience God's love through the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So it's, you, you want to do this because you want to grow in what it means uh, to be in Christ. The second reason why you might want this is because you want to experience the love of God in a very real, tangible way. When, oh, by the way, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit at his baptism. In, in Matthew 3, we read about the, 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 when the Spirit descended upon him, a voice of heaven, a voice from heaven, spoke over Jesus, this is my beloved Son, who I, I should get Maurice up here to say this, shouldn't I? Uh, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We were like, well, that was Jesus. No, he says the same thing over every Christian who experiences the immersion of his spirit. In Romans 8, 16, speaking of all Christians, uh, Paul says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. He writes to the Galatians in chapter 4, 6, that our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. This very intimate language. John 14 tells us that the Spirit will take the words of Jesus and will make them manifest to us. In other words, that we know things about Jesus. We have lots of facts about God in our head, and quite frankly, we are bored of those facts. What the Spirit does, it makes those things become alive in us where they become not just facts in our head, but they become a fiery reality in our heart. Thomas Goodwin is a 17th century British Puritan pastor, and I've used this illustration before. It's the best one I can think of. One day he's out on a walk and he notices a father and son taking a walk and they're having a nice little walk together. And then he notices the father stops, he stops the son, he looks at the son, he picks the son up, holds him close, whispers something in his ear, kisses him on the neck, puts him back down and they walk together. And in that moment, he asks the question to himself, was the son more of a son when they were just walking normally by? Or was he more of a son when he picked him up and kissed him on the neck? And objectively, legally, there was no difference between when they were walking along and when he was holding him tight. They were, it's a son here, son there. Legally, objectively, experientially, there was a massive difference. And people get all tied up in a knot on this and like, you know, first class Christian, second class Christian, da-da. There's just one, you're just, you're just Christian, right? You're just, when you become a Christian, you are seated in God in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says. Can you get any closer to God than heavenly places? No, but there are times where you can feel closer to him. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit ignites in your heart. You know you're close to God. You see, what this does, this gives us new language. Then you're able to say to yourself, why am I so worried about tomorrow? Why am I so anxious about money? I, there, I have a God who has died for me, who's gone to great lengths to save me. It says in his word that he who did not spare his own son, will he not give me all things? 
we know those things, we don't always feel those things. And the Spirit wants to make that a fiery reality in your heart. Why do you care that someone snubs you when the God of the universe speaks over to you, you are my beloved son? That's why you might want this. Because you do care when people snub you. You do get anxious about the future. God wants, you to, God wants to make this wonderful scripture word of God become a reality in our hearts. I know that I need this all the time. That's what it looks like on the inside of you. What does it look like on the outside of you? It looks like you're drunk. It looks like you're drunk. Some are saying they were drunk. At one level, they are mocking them. But on the other hand, they kind of had a point because I mean, even Paul later on says, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. So there must be something like getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of ways where it's not like that, so (laughs) don't put words in my mouth. Um, But the reason why people thought they were drunk is because of their joyful fearlessness. They looked at the way they were behaving and they had a joyful fearlessness because they were speaking the gospel without inhibition. They were too happy to care what people think. And that's what happens when you're drunk. I'm told that you don't care what people think. You're just so happy. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. And you feel like you can do anything. So you run into a brick wall. That's what alcohol does. It takes away your inhibitions. You don't care what people think. You're just fearless because you're so happy. God, when God loves you like that, when he pours in your heart like the Puritan says, they call the baptism, they, they describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit like waves of liquid love, like waves of liquid love crashing on my dry heart. And when you experience that, when the God of the universe I mean, sometimes we daydream about what so and so, you know, what if so and so loved me? What a difference that would make in my life. What if so and so, what if my boss came by and said I was something? What if the God of the universe said you were something? What if the God of the universe said that he, you know what? He has. And he wants to make you feel that. Third reason why you might want this is because you want to do justice work. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So you you might want to do it to grow in what it means to be a disciple. You might want to do it because you 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 want the facts about God to be a fiery reality in your heart because you want to do justice work. And and fourthly, and I think this is the the big point of the text, is because you want to see a harvest of souls. I think you might want this because you want to see a harvest of souls. In the natural, the the Feast of Pentecost was occurred right before the harvest season, like sometime in June. 
And that is exactly what God was saying in pouring out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, is this was at the very beginning of a harvest season. I said this already. These, the first Pentecost, God brought down the law. This Pentecost in Acts 2, he brought down his spirit. In, in, uh, when he gave them the law, they could not obey the law. So the, the law was supposed to be how the worlds of the nation be blessed. But as he's bringing that, they were disobeying the commandments before, as they were getting it. Paul says that the letter, the law kills and the spirit gives life. And that literally happened. On the day that the law was given, 3,000 people died. On the day that the, the spirit fell at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And that's what God wants to do. God wants to, the reason why you want God pour out your spirit like we read about in these pages, because it is a precursor to a harvest of souls. It's a precursor from hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people going from death to life. That's why you might want that. So here's what I want to do. I want you, can I invite you to stand? There's a lot of questions around this topic and... And we, we didn't answer, answer them all. Um, if you stick around long enough at Jubilee, you may get more answers because we talk about this from now and then. I don't want you to get hung up on the finer points of the theology, but here's the thing I want you to focus in on. I want you to focus in on the fact that God promises this and I want you to focus in on the fact that it is an experience. Um, the Bible uses words like drink, fill or filling, and drenched. Um, you know when you're drinking water. Like you're not like, did I, have, did I just drink water or not? Like you know you're drinking water. You know when you're full. I went to the King and I last night. I love, we love Thai food, and I got really full. In fact, I am still full. You know when you're filled. And when you're immersed, like you're swimming in a lake, you don't ask yourself, am I wet? I wonder if I'm wet. You know you're wet when you're drenched. So, that, so don't get hung up on some other stuff if you're getting hung up. But, but know that this is the promise of God. Know that good things happen when you receive this and know that it's an experience and know that it's an experience that should happen all the time. So when, when Paul says, be filled with spirit, it, it really means go on being filled, keep being filled. It's not a one-time thing or whatever. Don't get hung up. But have you, do you feel this? Do you, do you have that electricity of God's love flowing through you? Do you, are you? do you feel empowered for witness to where you really don't actually care what people think? I know that I don't feel that way about his love. I know that I don't feel that way about being a witness. I know that I need to receive this. And we and just to be clear, his spirit comes to us suddenly at his own doing. Like we should expect that his spirit would come, uh, but he's not a bellhop. 
you know, he keeps his own hours. He comes when he wants. D.L. Moody experienced this. He prayed and he prayed with a couple um, older women in his church that he would receive this, this flooding of God's, drenching of God's presence. And one day, unexpectedly, it happened suddenly, just like an act, it came suddenly. They were praying for 10 days and it came suddenly. How long would you pray for this? They prayed 10 days they, and it came suddenly. Dwight L. Moody prayed for a while it, and it came suddenly to him and it came so heavy upon him that he asked God, please stop, please stop. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. We should come to him with expectation and faith. But you don't have to, you don't have to worry if something God does and it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good thing. And I just wanna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. In the, and I just, as we sing, as the band leads us, just wanna encourage you to stay in that, that moment of receiving. And I think it helps. I really think it helps if you would just go ahead and hold out your hands hold them up like in a posture of receiving. I think your physical body helps. It's like someone giving you a gift. You hold out your hand. God wants to give you a gift. He wants to give you himself. It's the best thing he could give you.